back to Cibolo Creek Conversations. My name is Wyatt Marchant, and I'm here with a good friend of mine, Mr. Tanner Watson. How are you, sir? I'm well. What's up? It's good to be here. I know we're, I feel like you guys typically record in the same room, but uh, I'm in Arlington today. I'm assuming you're at your house down there in uh, yeah. the Bernie area, the dirty in the burn. Born. The burn. The burn. <laughs> yeah. No, we normally record in my living room, but now we're recording in my office. So uh, everybody will just, eventually everybody will get to see every room of my house. <laughs> That's sick. <laughs> I love it. Well, maybe not every room, but but yeah, no, super excited. Thank, thanks for coming on. We people yeah. listening don't actually know this, but uh, we did this once, but we had some internet problems, and so we thought we would um, re-record. Why it's being kind? I had some internet problems, um, <laughs> and it was really just an excuse to get to talk to Wyatt uh, twice. So yeah, yeah. Well, I'm a busy guy. You know, it's hard hard to catch my ear. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So hopefully, hopefully we'll say some smarter stuff this time. Well, I don't know about myself. Half the time I just find myself going on, and Paul Paul's just amuses me. Hmm. So but, what are we talking about today? Why hit me with it? What's what's the Cibolo Creek conversation today? Yeah. So well, I guess let's give an intro for kind of who you are. Um, mm. For those of you who don't know, Tanner, I, I've met Tanner. I don't know, probably six, seven years ago. I forgot what we landed on, but it would have been fall retreat or winter retreat of your senior year. No, junior year of high school. It it was either like late twenty. Yeah, it probably would have been like January of twenty sixteen. Yeah, who knows? And so, <laughs> um, winter retreats an event that Cibolo Creek does, um, and. Tanner came as a, I think, just as a volunteer first, but then eventually an intern for the student ministry through our mm-hmm. mutual friend. And at the time, he was my student pastor. And one stu- Tanner's student pastor through uh, Mr. Nathan Bryant, whom mm-hmm. uh, we love a whole bunch. Great guy. And yeah, so... Um, <clears throat> I, 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 Nathan was my youth pastor growing up. And I, I believe that Wyatt had a pretty re- similar relationship with Nathan that I did when Wyatt was in Nathan's ministry. Um, so I feel like we probably bonded over that. But I ended up uh, interning for Cibolo Creek for two summers. One of those yeah. summers I actually lived with Wyatt and his family. Uh, they were gracious enough to host me for a summer. Uh, I got my own room and everything. It was awesome. Um, I'll tell you what. Um, <laughs> you just had to listen to me but, brush my uh, teeth in the atrocious way that I do. Yeah, don't ask Wyatt's wife about how he brushes his teeth. Um, <laughs> it, it is what it is. Um, but uh, something that I feel like is unique about our relationship, and I was talking about this um, with Nick Elam, uh, another mutual friend of ours not too long ago, was you and I have this really cool, cool and unique kind of story where at one point uh, you were my student. Um and that's cool and unique. And then uh, the summer after you were my student, you were my coworker. Um, and that's really cool and unique. Uh, and now we're just friends. Um, yeah. And that's also cool and unique. And uh, it's not often that you get to see um, like someone in different stages of life the same way that you and I have been able to see each other in different stages and be friends as we've both evolved to become, you know, 
increasingly more like Christ in our own lives, as well as like learning new things through what we're studying, um, and even like pursuing different careers. Um, Wyatt has had and worked at Ciblo, uh since uh, it's been a long time, and I've had like four yeah. different jobs since <laughs> like Wyatt had started has started at Cibolo. So um, we've seen each other in a lot of different contexts. We've seen each other in like hard times and good times. And I think it makes for a pretty unique and fun friendship, if I do say so myself. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Um, being able to watch each other change, uh, but to still have uh, the friendship that stays true, but, but, but of course matures, um, it's really cool. And I know that you and I always really connected on, though I, both of us can goof around with the best of them, you and I always really connected with, I guess, like the more into, I guess the intellectual conversation um, mm. that uh, I know that you and I both love whether that be mm-hmm. a good old debate around a campfire or just, you know, in the car, uh, we were, we were always having some type of conversation that was very stimulating. And, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I know that's a really big interest of mine. I know that you share that. So I think we definitely connected over that. Mm-hmm. And I think it's fun that, uh, you and I, uh, while there, I don't, I don't know that there's a close handed issue. Maybe we'll talk about this later, but, um, there's not a close handed issue that you and I disagree on probably, but, uh, there are, we have a fair, a good few, uh, open-handed issues that we probably don't line up perfectly on. Um, which is, I think is cool, um, because we have enough respect for each other to be able to like have intelligent conversations about these things without getting upset. And we can still hang out and be friends at the end of the day. Uh, even when, um, one of us thinks the other is wrong about something. <laughs> yeah. We both think the other is wrong. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and it does, it also shows, and it, it's it's a very good, uh, I guess, almost like accountability that <clears throat> where I, maybe I lean more one direction and you lean more the other, normally it at least helps us to see the other side for what it is rather than whatever we create mm-hmm. in our head. And it can help us kind of find that mm-hmm. middle ground that we can agree on. Yeah, it's it's it, it's helpful to see someone that I love and respect and value their opinion, like take a stance that's not my own, because it means like whatever caricature that I may have been presented or built for myself about a disagreement I have is probably unfounded, um, because yeah. someone I love and respect and trust believes that, um, which is really cool. Yeah. Helpful. Yeah. Very, very helpful. So <clears throat> I know that we kind of wanted to talk about, um, the fact that you went to seminary. I have not gone to seminary mm. yet. Um, but I guess just, I guess for some of those people who don't know, they just kind of think of it as like the Bible, Bible college. And so I guess explain mm. what it is. And then, um, what are the benefits and some of the things that you found to be, um, beneficial to you? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, so uh, I am a proud graduate of George W. Truett Theological Seminary. Uh, it's Baylor's Seminary in Waco, Sikkim Bears. Um, I spent uh, roughly two and a half years there and graduated with my Master of Divinity in December of 2021. 
Um, I, I kind of had a unique situation where I went into seminary uh, with a Christian studies degree already under my belt. So my experience of seminary um, was kind of like undergrad 2.0 almost, uh, undergrad with strikes back. Um, uh, I, I was able to think at a seminary level much quicker than a lot of my peers, um, which doesn't mean I, I, I probably one out of every 10 Truett students comes in with some sort of Bible degree or Christian studies degree. It's not very common. Um, so I'm kind of the yeah. outlier regardless. Um, surprising to me, say, actually. Um, yeah. Um, in fact, I would probably encourage the student um, that's considering seminary to study something else. Um, all my eggs are in one basket. So if this whole like Jesus thing doesn't work out for me, then I really don't got anything. Um, <laughs> like I, I, I have no marketable skills outside of ministry. Uh, but if you go and get a degree in finance or marketing or uh, nursing, whatever it may be, um, you might actually be able to uh, do something else if you decide that you don't want to do vocational ministry. Um, regardless, uh, man, seminary is this unique, unique place that can be extraordinarily hard. Uh, I know several people who actually lost faith during seminary. Um, and I think that happens because uh, when you enter seminary and you aren't prepared to be challenged, some of the stuff that you encounter is new and scary. Uh, someone who has never heard any kind of theories about how old the earth is um, can come into a scriptures class and realize that some people interpret Genesis 1 and 2 uh, allegorically, and they believe it's not supposed to mean that the earth is 6,000 years old, and that can blow people's minds that people don't believe that. Um, so in that way, and that's a really easy example, um, but something that's unique about seminary is that you get challenged with all these ideas that you probably wouldn't be challenged with if you didn't go to seminary. You can always do your own reading. You can always go wherever you want, go to whatever library, buy whatever book on Amazon. But seminary forces you to think through these things to get the grade. You don't have to do the, uh, the, the search on your own because your professors are telling you, read this book, think through this passage, think through these theologies, all these ideas. And what's a unique about seminary in that context, and I think this is probably the biggest pro to seminary, is that you're doing it with other people. So at Truett, I had uh, obviously my peers that were going about uh, class with me day to day in my individual classes. But also I had a small group that I met with the first four semesters at Truett. We met once a week. We read books together. But it was a space where we could uh, talk about what we were struggling with, where we were encouraged to live into whatever it is we were going through, where a place where it was OK to not be OK, but it was also OK to thrive. Um, and I really found some truly amazing friendships and relationships in those groups. Um, there's something unique and amazing and beautiful about being able to struggle through something with other people. 
So for most people, when they hit seminary, they are not familiar with the debate between uh, Calvinism and Arminianism. And that can be an incredibly difficult thing to work through because they can be complicated ideas. And frankly, scripture can give you great arguments for both sides. And if you don't have people to bounce ideas off of or people to struggle through this, you're doing it alone. Yeah. Um, so seminary forces you to do all this research, to do all this thinking, to do all this writing and all this ultimate struggling in communion with other believers who are experiencing the same thing. And that's really valuable if you ask me. Otherwise, you'd have to find that yourself. Uh, and that's not impossible. And there are amazing, amazing pastors out there who never went to seminary. And that's awesome. One of them is our friend Nathan, not a graduate of a seminary, a pastor that I deeply respect, whose knowledge of the Bible, whose knowledge of theology, and whose sound preaching and doctrine I have the deepest respect for. Didn't graduate from a seminary. He has a law degree. But what's amazing about Nathan is he's done the work and had the conversations, done the reading to make sure that he can think at that level. Now, Nathan will probably tell you, and I think this is true of most people who didn't go to seminary, it would have been great to go to seminary. And he probably would have been where he is now a lot quicker uh, had he gone to seminary. But that doesn't mean that it is uh, a must because something that's seminary, uh, I guess a con of seminary, is that it can be expensive. Uh, depending on what denomination you're a part of, depending on which seminary you choose, any kind of scholarships or grants that you might be able to get. Seminary can be prohibitively expensive. Uh, I wouldn't have been able to go to seminary if I hadn't been a part of the Baptist General Convention of Texas and used their funds uh, to pay for over, way over half of my tuition. Um, and I did go into a little bit of debt because of seminary. Um, and that can be really challenging for people and people who choose not to go to seminary because they're going to find themselves in a financial hole. It's hard to blame them. Um, like I said, it's possible to do, do, do the reading, have the conversations, have, do the thinking, uh, outside of a seminary context. I just think it's easier to do it in a seminary context and you're given more tools to do so. Yeah. Um, I, it, like it's hard to beat, uh, Baylor's library system. Um, that I still have access to because I'm an alumna. Um, but uh, uh, I have all these digital and physical resources at my fingertips. But there's also um, a level uh, of seminary that it's networking. Um, I, I have the job I have today because of two theological seminaries. Um, I guess it's technically a career services department. My resume landed on my boss's desk because it got sent out to all these different contacts. Uh, and I landed in the right place. I love my job. Um, so, uh, I would say that, uh, I would encourage people who are considering ministry to go to seminary. Um, I would encourage that to be their first choice, um, if it's possible, but I would never ever in a million years dog someone for not going to seminary and not getting to the degree because ultimately that's just what it is. It's, it's a, frame on my wall. Um, I, in fact, I'm not sure I've even hung mine yet. Um, and it's been over a year. Um, but, uh, I move a lot. Okay. I, uh, it is. What it Listen, is. you're um, talking to a guy who will rant against college for an hour plus. So I'm not, I'm just giving you a hard time. <laughs> um, it's, 
it is what it is. It's uh, seminary is amazing. I had probably the best two in the year, two and a half years of my life so far um, at Truett uh, because of the people there, the education I received, my professors. Um, Waco in general is really cool. I love Waco, um, but uh, it's not for everyone. It's not going to work for everyone, and you can still be an incredibly effective minister without going to seminary. Um, yeah, because I I know them. I know the ministers who haven't been to seminary that are doing amazing, amazing ministry. Uh, so it's hard. It, it you can go either way. You know, but I do I do know what you mean because, like the how you said that it was easier. You can you can do all the reading on your own, but it, it's much easier if you do it through there. And, and like what I call that is just like guided learning. I mean that's what it is. Mm-hmm. And Absolutely. As somebody who who does like to read, whenever you're dealing with co- complex topics and ideas, it can be very and, and even just like what authors do I trust? Like mm. who who am I gonna read? That alone is enough research for me to like take out at least two hours of my day because it's like. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't want to just read anybody. Like, I want to read somebody who's at least noteworthy on both sides of the issue or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and well, and I would say, too, it's so easy to get stuck in your echo chamber when you're not, like, you know, given some kind of guide, like yeah. guided learning. Um, it's so easy to fall into the I'm going to read the same ideas, the same people consistently. Um, and, and it can really mess with. Um, the the true authentic exchange of ideas that um, certain contexts offer because um, you're like oh I agree with this person so I'm going to read them um, yeah I, mean, so I know I've fallen too, into that you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but I know what you mean I, I I would say that I was there were points in undergrad and seminary when I was doing like I mean my whole religious education that what I believed kind of depended on the week because I was reading different ideas um, from different people every week. And it is formed into a very beautiful and what I consider sound and orthodox theology that I possess. But it took a lot of work to get there because I was thinking through um, all these different ideas um, and I was changing my opinions and um I was shown through my reading, through my research, through conversations with professors and peers that, oh, man, Tanner, you're wrong. Uh, Like this is I like to think that if I hear a good argument that uh, uh, I can submit to it, Uh, it's probably not exclusively true. But um, (laughs) but uh, when I heard good arguments, I was like, oh, well, I got to I got to run, run with it. Um, And uh, whatever you do, if you do seminary. If you don't do seminary, I would encourage you to figure out how to make sure that there is a fair exchange of ideas across all of your research, all of your reading, all of your discussions, so that uh, you're given the broad spectrum of good arguments. Um, You don't want to stop at one good argument because, like I said, there's good arguments that apply. Um, There's good arguments for Calvinism and there's good arguments for Arminianism. Um, both rooted in scripture, which makes it really complicated. Um, yeah, and for those of you who don't know, that Calvinism and Arminianism, the the topic that really gets brought up there is predestination. And so, mm-hmm. and so that's that's what he's referring to. Mm-hmm. Um, Whether or not we have free will. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, that's the deeper question. 
Um, Paul and I just did a podcast on that, uh, which was interesting. But um, yeah, no, it, and that's and 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 I, you did you did this well, I think, and I think you probably learned it from seminary, just because you were faced with so many different ideas. Is that something that I try to do? Is like I will, I guess I'll test different ideas out with people whom I'm talking to, and so like mm-hmm. regardless if I actually think it. I don't know if I think it or not, but I'll, I'll, def- I guess I'll like defend it like I do because I want to see if it can stand on itself, you know? Mm. Um, and people don't really like to do that. They, they think that if they think, if they say one thing, they just have to stand by it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, you can adjust, you can test ideas out. That's what talking to the people is for that in large part, mm-hmm. um, because it's really hard to, it's really hard to argue two different complex ideas alone in your head. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think, too, it's like also kind of a pride thing. Like, yeah, it's okay to be wrong. It's 100% okay to recognize that you're wrong and then ultimately change your mind. Um, in fact, that's probably um, a better quality than just being right. Uh <laughs> As much as I love to be right, um, it's probably more valuable to recognize when you're wrong and go ahead and submit to that. Yeah. And it kind of – to me, it kind of gives the same idea. And like in something that I always – I always – I guess – I think you might have this problem too. I'm not sure. Tell me. But I always get um, labeled as just not wanting to admit that I'm wrong. But – and perhaps that's true from time to time. Don't get me wrong. But – a lot of what it is, I think, is that like I I have not seen my arguments sufficiently um, debunked, for lack of a better term, like, or defeated, mm-hmm. and so I'll keep going because it's like, well, no, like there's still this thing. Um, but whenever whenever I have, whenever I have been met, I guess met with a better argument against my own, it kind of gives that it gives the similar feeling to me of of winning the debate. Because it's like, oh wow, I was wrong about that, but now I know this thing, and like, I feel like I gained something, not that I lost something. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense. I, uh, yeah, I'd be interested to know, I guess, in in my own heart, what uh, if I'm like, how good I actually am at recognizing, like, when I'm wrong, yeah, versus when I'm just tired of arguing. Um, Mm. (laughs) I don't know. Maybe that's a thought for a different day, but it's, uh, that's something I don't struggle with. uh, (laughs) (laughs) I'll just keep going, man. Yeah. That's an interesting thought. I don't know. I never, I I don't, I think it all probably also depends on the context. Cause like, I feel like you did that. I don't know how much you've done that with me, but we've also like, those were done in my game room while we were just chilling, not mm-hmm. in a group setting where like half the people are like, okay, you guys need to shut up. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. I learned, a. that's a, another valuable thing. I feel like this is probably really valuable for the minister is it's like, there's a, there's a difference between like making, like making your argument and winning a debate. Um, and losing a debate, and then the third is just deciding that it's not worth it. Yeah. Like, just when to stop. (laughs) 
like, um, I hate to keep leaning on this example, but like, I seldom will give the Calvinism and Arminianism debate any time of my day, um, because uh, both sides are convinced. Uh, uh, I, for one, um, lean more on the Arminian side. I have my appreciations of John Calvin and his writing, um, and even think that he got most of it right. Um, but I ultimately disagree over some of the predestination stuff. Um, and I, I mean, I've seen all the good arguments and I haven't been convinced yet. And I doubt that I can have a good enough argument to convince the other side either way. So that debate in particular is just not worth it for me to have, um, in most contexts because, uh, like, I'm happy to answer questions about it, but I'm not going to participate in an all out discussion because they get ugly really fast because they're, everybody's passionate and it is what it is. Um, but then there's things that like, I, I mean, I will passionately, I'll debate till the day I die, um, about what makes you a Christian or not. Um, and what qualifies and disqualifies you from being a Christian. Mm. Um, so th- there are, there are hills I will die on. Um, yeah. I try to keep them. I try to keep the number few, um, because I, I, I just, it's not worth dying. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that true. Well, I think that's a, that kind of leads us into the next part of the discussion. But Paul and I actually, our last, our very last podcast from when we were recording, you and I are recording this, was what hills should Christians die on? Um, mm. And we didn't necessarily like draw a whole list. Uh, he used the metaphor of a Jenga tower. And so he, he had like four main ones just because Jenga towers have four blocks. Mm-hmm. Um and that's not necessarily a set number, but <clears throat> what do you see? You used you use the phrase "open and closed hand doctrine." How would you mm-hmm. define that saying? What do you mean by okay. that? Okay, it's a great question. Um, so, closed hand um, is a theology, or a piece of theology, or a doctrine. Excuse me. Um, that is essentially, it, it's dogmatic. It is um, defining, uh, I w- in the simplest of terms, in my opinion, what I hold close-handed can qualify or disqualify people from being Christian. Um, okay. And I, um, I say what I believe only because I'm willing to be wrong about these things. Um, but uh, these are not ideas that I came up with myself. Uh, I have submitted to uh, the long line of um, church doctrine and history and tradition. Um, I've submitted to leadership and pastoral ministry in my own life in these ways. Um, And it's all been viewed uh, through the lens of scripture. Um, I'm a Wesleyan at heart and the Wesleyan quadrilateral has to do with scripture and, um, experience and tradition, um, and all these, um, uh, different things. And, uh, all of it is viewed through scripture. So it's really important to me. One, a close handed, a good example of a close handed issue is, um, the Bible's authority over your life. Um, now you, I, I, I th- there's some open-handedness to exactly how you interpret the Bible, but the Bible as our text 
text, our litmus test for our belief. It's non-negotiable for me. So that's a close-handed issue. Um, an open-handed issue um, is something that I think that we can ultimately agree to disagree on and still consider each other Christians. So um, I said that I lean towards Arminianism. I believe that I have free will. Um, and that is an open-handed issue for me. I believe that there are plenty of brothers and sisters who um, consider themselves Calvinists that are also Christians. And their belief on that matter holds uh, nothing on their salvation. Um, instead, it is a piece of doctrine that we disagree on, and it's open-handed. Um, so I would tell you again, like, like I said, I try to keep as few hills to die on as possible. Uh, but those hills to die on are my close-handed issues. Um, one of them is, uh, I'm thinking of how to put it, uh, essentially the Trinity, um, in all that that yeah. entails, um, like, uh, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, um, and how they participate in the Trinity, um, and the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. Um, so that's a close-handed issue. Um, Jesus has to be the Son of God. Um, and he has to be 100% God and 100% human. You have to believe that um, in order to be a Christian. Um, Bad news you have to, Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, well, uh, don't call myself it. Uh, or tell them. Um, <laughs> they might want um, to hear. <laughs> I'm, I'm willing to have that debate. Um, you have to recognize Jesus as Lord, um, as part of the Trinity, as the Savior of the universe, um, and that's based in Scripture. Um, you have to believe in that um, and trust in that to be a Christian. Um, I think it's oh something like 46% of self-identifying evangelicals agreed that Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. So that's almost 50% of people who call themselves evangelicals, and that, that's a loaded term. That can mean a lot of things. Um, but 50, almost 50% 50 of those people will tell you that Jesus was not the son of God, that he was just a good teacher. So that's alarming for me, not to be an alarmist, but that's alarming because that's a close-handed issue for me. That means that 46% of people are missing out on what it means to actually be a Christian, uh, which is crazy. Uh, and that's actually Yo, the percentage. Up, so. and, that's just, and that's just one close-handed issue too. Like the percentage mm -hmm. that you, we would actually get of self-professed Christians, I think is... Um, alarming to be an alarmist it's alarming <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> it's yeah I, it's wild um and i i don't have the statistics in front of me I, it's actually up from so that's from i think it's the website is the state of theology.com i believe um mm. but that was the 2022 numbers. Uh, I believe the last time it was taken, the survey was taken was in 2020. And for that particular statistic, it jumped almost 10 points, I think, 
in the last two years that between the two years between those two surveys, um, which is a lot. Uh, it means that this false theology um, is actually on the rise. Uh, I actually wrote an article about this. Um, uh, maybe uh, can you link that in the show notes? Um, yeah. It, for for an organization called the Pastors Comment, um, just engage it, the the article is about engaging um, flawed theology in our congregations. Uh, be in light of those statistics because it's something that's been on my heart um, because, uh, well, I, for one, really want heaven to be crowded and um, flawed theology is something, it's a roadblock on the way to that. Um, And oftentimes it's not malicious. People don't, 46% of evangelicals don't believe that Jesus was just a good teacher out, out of malice. They believe it either because they've been taught that or they've engaged that idea and decided to run with it, Um, which means someone out there is getting it wrong and spreading these ideas. Um, And we need to make sure that we're educating our people to engage these ideas in ways that um, uh, try and curb them Um, because it's not going away. Uh, flawed theology is the reason that we have things like the Nicene Creed um, and the reason that we have all these different church councils throughout church history. Uh, they were formed in order to fight the flawed theologies of the day. And that has not a ton to do with open-handed and close-handed issues, but uh, it is something that I'm passionate no. about right now. No, it's important, though, because... There's a lot of confusion over what is and what isn't a closed-handed issue, um, or an mm-hmm. open-handed issue. And mm-hmm. like you said, like maybe they've been taught something, they've either been taught incorrectly, or they've just kind of run into the idea. Like, and this probably falls into one of those two. But I almost think that it's just they haven't been, rather than they've been taught incorrectly. I think a lot of the times they just haven't been taught correctly. Mm-hmm. And, and the reason that I oh, – the small distinction that is is just because – and I, I kind of rail on this sometimes. But I think a lot of churches have um, – they don't think very highly of their congregation's ability to wrestle with ideas. Or that the, mm. as soon as you get real about a topic, people are either going to push back, which they will, but so be it. Or they're going to be like, this is too much for me. And it's like, okay, wait. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of that attract the consequences of the attractional model that a lot of churches in America, I think, have taken on. What do you think about that? Yeah. um, So I think there's there's value. Seeker friendly is like the kind of language that typically gets thrown around in our churches. Um, Sure. Making sure that the church is uh, positions itself in a way that welcomes people in more easily, uh, specifically people who are traditionally uncomfortable with church, perhaps have never been to church. Um, and for a while, it probably worked really well. Um, and I think there, there's definitely something to be said for making sure that our congregations are welcoming. There's something to be said for making sure our congregations uh, feel like home and feel safe when someone new walks through our doors uh, because typically you only get one shot when someone visits your church. Yeah. Uh, and it's really important 
that they feel the love of Jesus and through the love of the congregation as they encounter your church for the first time. But with that being said, we have sacrificed a lot of uh, robust theological preaching and teaching in order to cater to what we think is uh, more engaging for new people um, and more comfortable for new people. And um, it has bled into um, the entire life of our churches, for some churches, I think, um, when in reality, people are way smarter than we probably give them credit, um, especially students. Um, that's my, yeah. like, that's my context. That's my bread and butter. Uh, I am a youth pastor. I don't know if we said that, um, at the beginning, but, uh, my, my title at my church, First Baptist Church of Arlington is, uh, it's long, it's youth ministry associate for guys ministry. Uh, so I, my, my specific role, uh, is to serve seventh through 12th grade guys and I am constantly amazed at what my students can comprehend, even my seventh graders. Um, obviously, seventh grade guys um, have shorter attention spans, uh, and they can be uh, difficult to, to get to that serious point. But every once in a while, they have that little nugget, and you're like, oh, my gosh, not only were you paying attention, but you had something amazing to say. Yep. And then they go right back to eating like spaghetti with their hands and, uh, you know, stuff like that. Uh, regardless, um, people are way smarter than we give them credit. And I believe that there is an actual yearning for uh, deeper understanding, deeper teaching, deeper preaching uh, in our Sunday morning services, in our Bible studies throughout the week that I, be I believe that people see that kind of stuff and actually yearn for it. So yes, it is incredibly important that we open our, the doors of our church in a way that attracts people who are not familiar with our church, not familiar with Christianity. We need to be welcoming in a way that's comfortable and safe for these people who might have experienced trauma because of the church, who may be skeptical of Christianity as a religion. Um, but I believe part of doing that is being real. Part of being welcoming is uh, actually presenting ourselves in a way that is consistent with our beliefs uh, instead of just being soft and being dumbing things down. We need to be robust and it's hard but it's possible to have that robust preaching and teaching and that robust programming while also being attractive and engaging. Uh, it takes a lot of work, but that's kind of like our jobs in the church <laughs> to make sure that um, we are presenting the gospel in ways that are engaging to culture, but that don't cater to culture. Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm which is sometimes kind of a, a weird tightrope lined walk, but it's very possible. Jesus did it. Um, and um, that's the example we're supposed to follow. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, you, you, you do see a lot of that, that is more catering to culture. Um, and, 
And I would almost even say that like nowadays, with just how confused, particularly for students, but I would say for everybody, with just how confusing and uh, the world has become and how unsure of who to trust, saying the truth um, and, 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 and speaking about foundational beliefs and theology and um, just what the scripture is saying, it, no matter the complexity, I think that that itself is almost attractive. Like um, mm. somebody, who, somebody who's lost doesn't want <laughs> this like surface level junk that like sounds kind of okay, but doesn't actually call them to anything higher. Mm-hmm. They want them. They want. They want to come to a place that's calling them higher and saying like, "Hey, this is some some." They want to experience somebody who is firm in what they believe because that is attractive. You don't want a leader who's mm-hmm. like unsure or a pastor who's unsure about what they're talking about they're like well we don't want to talk about that side of things or Mm -hmm. yeah well we can flip on this this issue or just not address it at all they want somebody who's like um has conviction Mm. yeah like like i said i think what you're getting at is a level of authenticity that is really important um like people can tell when you're putting on a show um, I found that to be extraordinarily true in student ministry. Um, students aren't going to fall for it. Um, they can see through the smoke and mirrors and, um, it's so, so important to make sure that you're like actually engaging them authentically instead of, um, just trying to put on a show. Um, uh, otherwise you're going to get a bunch of students with, uh, theologies that are subpar, um, if not heretical. <laughs> well, we're seeing a lot of that nowadays. Yeah, like it, alarming. Not an to alarming be an alarmist. I'll tell you what, I started about, I've, I've thought about starting a Twitter account called Christian Community Notes <laughs> just to go around and okay. start like, and start like, if I see heresy, just call it out. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I don't know, felt like it'd do pretty well. Um, hey, shout out to, that's a, this is vintage Bernie right here. Um, oh, wow. What is that? I forgot the name of that place. What was it called? It was a coffee shop. Electric. It was called, um, electric. electric. Yeah. Yeah. Shout out. Rip. I was just next to them today. It's, it's neither the juice bar or whatever else it was afterwards. It's something else now. Maybe a pool company. Who knows? It doesn't matter, but it's, anyways, it's dead. Um, <laughs> So open and closed hand doctrine. So I've been reading a lot into, uh, and you know about this, obviously. I'm sure you learned about this in undergrad, but I've been reading Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology. Um, And so I don't know if you have any thoughts about Wayne Grudem himself, but systematic theology in general. um, The way that they call it major and minor doctrine. So major doctrine is the closed hand, minor doctrine is the open hand. Um, and the major doctrines, what makes them closed hand is because the, what you believe about this thing has all kinds of cascading effects on a whole bunch of other stuff. I like that. I like that way of putting it. Yeah. And so, so, so I almost, it's difficult for me. Um, I, I feel like the list of closed hand doctrine could grow significantly 
if approached that way, but I personally don't want to be so closed-handed that now I just, like, there's a very small amount of people that I'm going to agree with. Now, looking at it from mm-hmm. your perspective of <clears throat> what I'm going to consider closed-hand or, ma- or major doctrine, um, this is what makes you a Christian, that would open it up significantly for me. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm sure maybe you even have this, too, of just, like, what you think we should believe or what you think a Christian should 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 believe is probably much broader than what actually makes someone a Christian, I'm guessing, hey? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so, I guess, how do you kind of balance out, how do you, Tanner Watson, determine what is closed-handed? Mm. So, like I said earlier, the Bible is always going to be my chief called a litmus test call it lens actually i probably like lens the best i try to view everything i believe not just like in my own faith but across my entire life through the lens of what scripture tells me now scripture was written you know in the latest case like 2000 years ago. Um, and, um, we've learned a lot in the last 2000 years. Um, a lot about the world, a lot about, um, each other last 2000 years. Um, and we would be silly to, uh, not take what humanity and Christianity specifically has learned over the last 2000 years into account when we decide what we do and don't believe. And I don't think that's taking culture and letting it um, decide what we believe for us. Um, I think that's taking, uh, and tr- truth Truth is finite. It, there is only one truth and all truth is God's truth. And as we've discovered it along the way, like, like gravity was discovered between the last, you know, letter of Paul and today. And, for, from what I understand, I'm, I'm no scientist. Um, gravity is true. <laughs> um, and um, that's not voodoo. That's not wizardry. That is God's truth because God created and sustains everything that exists inside this universe and outside any potential universe, whatever you believe about the universe. Regardless, there's a God above it all, outside of it all, that created it and sustains it. So all that to say it's really important that we take what we've learned along the way and help uh, help ye- or let that help us decide what really is close-handed. And what I'm talking about specifically is some of the tradition of the church councils. So all these church councils are, uh, like I said, formed in an effort to kind of curb different false theologies. So you have modalism, which believes that God, the triune God, these three different modes, uh, that's a heresy. Um, there's Gnosticism, um, which is really heady and believes that you can attain um, certain things just in your own head. Um, and uh, that's actually a really crappy way of dis- describing Gnosticism, but I'm not going to go too deep into it right now. Spell um, the G if you want to look it up. Yes. Um, <laughs> but... Um, 
So um, be, these councils, the result of these councils is what we call the creeds, um, the most famous of which is the Nicene Creed. Uh, and the Nicene Creed um, has consistently across time held its weight when um, viewed through the lens of scripture. Um, it, to say it's perfect is probably unfair, um, but it, and I, I wouldn't even say it, it's inspired um, because it's outside of our scripture canon, but it was scripture that inspired it. Um, so I would say that's a great example of like tradition helping us inform what isn't, isn't a close-handed issue. So I, all that to say, I think that the Nicene Creed is safe to, um, and feel free to look it up. It's N-I-C-E-N-E, -E, um, creed, like a band. Um, but, uh, I, I think it's probably safe to say, um, at least in my own theology that what is held within the Nicene Creed is close-handed because it is, uh, backed by scripture. Um, so what's hard about using only scripture is, uh, it's easy to interpret scripture in a bunch of different ways. Um, and that's why we have different denominations. That's why we have so many different theologies. Um, so what's cool about the Nicene Creed um, and other creeds like it, like the Apostles' Creed, is it is consistently held up when debated um, between people way smarter than I'll ever be, um, who know their Bible way better than I ever will. Um, and I, I trust them over the course of... Um, can't even remember what year the Nicene Creed um, was written, but it's been well over a thousand years. Um, so um, that's, those are probably scripture and tradition um, are probably my chief ways of discerning what is a closed handed issue. Um, mostly because uh, I submit to the pastoral authority of this parade of saints that is consistently yeah. checked these traditions throughout the history against the lens of scripture. Um, it, it's you, if you can find it all in scripture and all these old guys have consistently agreed with it, uh, then it's probably safe. <laughs> probably. That's the, uh, thing, gonna... that's the thing that a lot of Christians today don't like to do. Um, granted, with the rise of just subjectivism in general, it's, it's not surprising, but of, <clears throat> I guess, interpreting by themselves rather than mm -hmm. alongside the thousands of years of great Christian minds, doctrine, creeds, and just thinking that, you, <laughs> me thinking that Wyatt alone could come up with exactly what God's truth is. Um, mm -hmm and not be wrong or that it's okay mm -hmm. if someone, or that it's just okay if I think what I want to think. Mm -hmm. Right. And, I mean, at the end of the day it and, is, but like, it, no, you're not going to get stoned, but. Uh, and theology is an evolving discipline. Um, new books are being written, new research is being done. Um, some of it has to do with um, the evolving discipline of biblical translation. Um, if you didn't, if the listener doesn't already know this, um, the Bible, when someone wants to 
like release a new translation of the Bible. They don't just pick up their NIV and reword it. They don't just pick up um, uh, the message and reword it. They go back to the original languages um, and the uh, Greek and the Hebrew, and they base their interpretations off of the original languages. And we can be very, very confident in those manuscripts from the original languages because of the breadth and um, width of manuscripts that we have. There are literally thousands upon thousands of manuscripts in the original languages that all agree with each other up to 99.9% um, that we build our Greek and Hebrew Bibles off of. Uh, so we can be confident that uh, when we're reading those, that this is what the original writers um, had actually, when they put whatever to paper, pen, feather, whatever it was, um, to paper, that this is what they actually wrote uh, because of the diverse sources that all agree on what the text says. Um, you know, I ran into one of those 1% accidentally the other day. One okay. of those 1% of, I guess, versions uh, just rendering a different way of saying something. Um, mm -hmm. It was in Genesis 3.16. It was right at the end of the curse. God's giving the curse to Eve. And, mm -hmm. and then Genesis 3.16 talks about how I read ESV. E I'm an ESV fella. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I always thought everyone knows Genesis if if we're talking about it, everyone's going to read that as saying, and uh, speaking to Eve, your desire will be against or contrary to your husband. Okay? Mm -hmm. If you read that in NIV or NLT or something else like that, you would, you would have read it as your desire will be for your husband. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wow, that can really get you to a different place. Uh-huh. Um, this is Genesis three sixteen. I believe so. Could be wrong. Uh, sorry, I'm looking it up in my NASB, which is my translation of choice. I'm on I, I, I also like NASB. Uh to the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth and pain you shall deliver children. Yet your desire will be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. It's interesting. I wonder if that's a textual variant or if that's like a, like different um, manuscripts have different words there. Um, or if that's more of a uh, translation um, choice. Uh, so that's kind of like what, like, like when you're, you, when you're translating, you're interpreting, um, you have to choose what words you want to like. It's like um, when I say grande, um, the most literal um, translation is big, but then I could say like grande could you know, <laughs> mean huge. Um, like little things like that. It's up to the translator to choose that. But textual variants are like different manuscripts have strong arguments for what they say, but they might have one word difference. Um, so I'm not sure I'd have to look up. Like, yeah, and this is a small issue. The the what I I broke out the commentaries. I looked up the Greek words. The only other instances uh -huh. where that's used, it's actually used in the next chapter where they're talking about 
uh, whenever God's describing how sin is sitting at the at Cain's door, and his mm-hmm. desire is for him. So mm-hmm. sin's desire is not really for the better of Cain, but he wants to control him essentially. Sin wants to control Cain. Um, that's an interesting comparison. Yeah, I and so that's the only that. that it used. So I'm still I'm I'm an, I'm saying the ESV got it right. Plus, it also makes no sense that. At the end of a curse, God be like, but here's a good piece. Mm-hmm. But neither here nor there. Point was, I I agree with, I agree with what you were saying about transcription um, and and actually coming to those conclusions. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, but all that to say, my um, my close-handed and open-handed issues. Um, I think the Bible is probably, if we're like cascading down what informs my close-handed issues, the Bible's at the top. Tradition is probably um, right there um, under the Bible. Um, And then my own experience um, is probably in there somewhere, but um, that's probably the lowest on the totem pole because experience is so... um, subjective um and then also reason if we're talking like i said i'm a wesleyan um so uh the wesleyan quadrilateral john wesley is a famous he started the methodist church um, for those who don't know um, him and his brother did but the wesleyan quadrilateral is um four different ways of informing your faith um that all work together so um the big one is scripture and it envelops all things but through the lens of scripture, we look at reason, tradition, and experience. Um, and that's what informs our faith. Um, so those four things make up the quadrilateral. Um, and I have a lot of respect for John Wesley. So uh, I, uh, I can get behind that. So for Christians nowadays, uh, I kind of mentioned this on my podcast with Paul, but we're being culture... For, I, I'm going to just say it like this. Culture is asking us to compromise or to renovate some of the beliefs that we've had about um, mm. either humans or, uh, or our faith. Culture is asking us to compromise or change what we thought about a lot of stuff recently. And um, that comes in the form of um, uh, whether it be homosexuality or transgender. Transgender mm-hmm. is the, the big one right now. Um, mm-hmm. but then a whole line of other things uh, all the way down to um, not necessarily universalism but uh, kind of the all roads lead to heaven um, for blinking on the term um, where all religions kind of point towards the same thing um, mm-hmm. anyways <clears throat> culture's asking us to do that and there's a lot of Christians which we were kind of getting at this earlier there's a lot of heretical things in a lot of churches nowadays so, how does a because they're asking us to do it in the name of love and inclusion. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, what? How would you advise, or how do you go about guarding yourself from either being too harsh or compromising too far? Mm. This is a very, very. Um, present question i guess it's a uh it, it matters right now uh, yeah don't mess it up 
That's great. I love that. <laughs> um, I'll say this. Jesus is radically inclusive. Um, and what I mean by that is ultimately scripture tells us that Jesus is going to reconcile all things to himself. Um, everything that is created has the opportunity to be redeemed. Um, everyone that is created um, has the opportunity to be redeemed, uh, regardless um, gay, straight, LGBTQ, whatever the other letters are. Um, it's, it, it's ultimately because of Jesus's sacrifice on the cross, it is no longer my sin that sends me to hell. It is rejecting Jesus that ultimately is my condemnation. Uh, and if we're being consistent with what scripture tells us about um, Christ reconciling all things to himself, if we're being consistent about the character of Christ and the character of God that we see through Christ, then I believe it is safe to assume that everyone at some point will have the opportunity to say yes to Jesus. And that choice is the most defining choice of a person's life. And like I said, that is radically inclusive. If everyone, regardless of their sin, regardless of any orientation, culture, or choice they've ever made, they get the opportunity because Jesus died for them on the cross and then walked out of the grave with holes in his hands three days later. With that being said, <laughs> Jesus is also the picture of justice. And that means that there are certain things that do not fall in line with what we would consider to be a biblical lifestyle, a Christ-centered lifestyle. If we are trying to model ourselves after Jesus, which is all of scripture, there are things that we should not and cannot participate in if we are taking that call seriously. And, um, and I think you can be saved and get some of this wrong. Um, it's, um, it's possible to mess up after you've been saved. Um, I sure hope so. <laughs> uh, trust me. Um, <laughs> so to answer your question though, um, there is, as culture has evolved, um, and it has become less and less socially advantageous to be a Christian, um, which I would argue it probably still is more than it's not, um, but that tide might turn soon. Um, I'm not any kind of political or sociological scientist, so um, I can't speak with authority on that. But um, as culture evolves, the Christian will continue to be challenged with the pressure of joining alongside whatever it is that culture is um, trying to, I guess, administer is probably a safe term. Um, and to that Christian, I would say 
the chief, the most important thing you can do, the most fundamental, concrete, foundational part of this life as a Christian, especially in the modern age, is making sure that you recognize that your identity is in nothing but the Savior of the universe. That everything about you is defined by Jesus. And it's important to recognize that now more than ever, because so much of what culture is trying to push on us is identity. It's identity with um, your sexual orientation. It's identity with um, where you come from. It's identity with the choices you make. And those things are important. Um, There are people out there that genuinely experience gender dysphoria. And there are people out there that should be proud of their culture. Um, Yeah. Um, But when we talk about our identity, my identity is not my sexuality. My identity is not in um, my job. My identity is solely in the person that I recognize as Lord of the universe. Um, And when you start there, when you start with that foundation, it is much easier to engage the culture of today and not be as tempted by it because it can seem lucrative. It can seem like the right thing very easily because culture is not always wrong. I'm not here to tell you that everything about culture is bad because we should be radically inclusive. We should be radically loving. But there's a difference between being radically inclusive and loving and letting sin abound um, and letting injustice abound uh, because of our love and inclusivity um, or what we consider to be our love and our inclusivity. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, but when you have built the foundation of your identity in Christ, you can start to reject putting your identity in anything else. When people tell you that, oh, you are this because um, you're a white guy. Um, You can, you don't have to say this out loud, but in your head you can say, no, I'm not just a white guy. I'm Tanner Watson and I, my identity is in Jesus and I love you because of that and I'll serve you because of that, but I'm not gonna let you define anything about me that's outside of that definition because that is my identity. Um, so once you've started there, I a couple quick tips would be pray. Um, prayer is powerful. Um, there's a reason that everybody in the Bible does it. Um, there's a reason that Christians for generations since the time of Jesus have done it. Um, when you pray for um, yourself and for those around you, and the context that you're in, and the world, and all of it, um, God hears those prayers. God's listening. Um, And uh, you might get exactly what you're praying for, or you might get exactly what you needed, but you didn't realize it when you're asking for it, when you pray for it. Um, Yeah, you might not want it, but you might need it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, Spend plenty of time in Scripture. Um, Scripture um, is true. And um, while um, the way we interpret scripture can sometimes end up giving us false interpretations, um, it's not because scripture is wrong. It's because we have interpreted it wrong. 
Um, and that's why we have to also weigh in the opinions and the traditions built by the millennia of Christian um, theologians and leaders. The parade of saints that's gone before us um, has built us a really solid ground to land on um, through their interpretations of scripture. Um, so it's um, important to do all those things. Um, I would say uh, if you are going to make, well, as you make sure uh, scripture is part of your routine um, to stay strong in your faith, uh, make sure you are discussing it with other Christians. Um, that's true for this whole breadth of things. Um, our identity is found in Jesus um, and the community of believers that also have their identity in Jesus. It's not just singular. Um, and then um, scripture um, needs to be interpreted as a group, like we said earlier, um, and discussed as a group. Um, because what if you get something wrong? Yeah, man. Uh, what, uh, what, if, what if you are wrong about a theology? Um, and like I said, the Bible is not giving it to you wrong. Um, what's wrong is the way that you're thinking through it. And that's okay. It's perfectly normal. Um, you're not condemned because you, um, accidentally read scripture wrong. Um, but it is important to get it right. And it's going to be easier to do that when you're in a community of believers, um, who are helping you and pushing back when you're wrong. Um, and, have the ability to be honest with you as well you them um when pushback is needed so that's really important um, too and i'll just i don't mean to cut you off but no please it it's okay i've become increasingly so with other christians the amount of grace and um gentleness that i show in discussions with people who don't claim christ as their king is so much higher than with other Christians. Not that I'm a jerk to other Christians, but I'm way more straightforward because, well, we're following the same fella. Mm-hmm. And, 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 I, and if I see, if I'm getting off track, I want to be told right away. Mm-hmm. And if I see someone else, I want them to, I, I feel the need to tell them right away, not because I just want to be right, but because uh, it matters and Mm-hmm. He's going that way, and I want to make sure that we're all going the same way. So mm-hmm. the point is, like you just said, for have to have other people push back on you, that is essential, and it's also essential to to play your, to do your duty in caring for your other brothers and sisters in Christ. That if you hear something incorrect with them, to lovingly mm-hmm. have a conversation with them and 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 point out perhaps where they have a flawed, um, rather uh-huh. than just letting them go on their own way. Um, which that takes some people who are very agreeable don't like to do that, but uh, I think it's a duty that we have as Christians to to keep hold one another accountable. Well, if your breath smells and you're about to go on a date, like I would hope, or if my breath smelled and I was about to go on a date, I would hope that you would say something and say, "Hey, bro, brush your teeth, get some go." Yeah, dude. Like, you know, <laughs> 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 I, I I try to. I've given my friends the license to do that, um, uh, but it's true of our faith too. And I would also say, um, on the up kind of, if we're to flip all this, or at least think about it from a different direction, um, 
it, what we are not saying is um, escape to your bubble, stay in your Christian bubble. Yeah. We are not saying um, that you should only be friends with Christians, that you um, need to just run from the world because that is the complete opposite of what uh, Christ calls us to. That's the complete opposite of the Great Commission. Um, we are supposed to be in the world. We're supposed to be participating in daily life. Um, and we're supposed to be loving God and loving our neighbor as we do it. Um, those are the two greatest commandments, according to Jesus. Um, and I like to think that he knows his stuff. Um, yeah. But uh, it is so, so important to as you're doing all this to make sure that we're engaging the world. Um, and that's part of trying to make heaven crowded. As part of um, being a good steward of the faith um, is to make sure that we are representatives of the gospel wherever we go. Um, and that can be a little daunting probably for some, but uh, it's part of the gig. Um, and escaping to your echo chambers and just hanging around people that agree 100% with you, uh, it's not safe and it's not good. Um, and there will be times we need to escape. That's what things like church camp is for. That's what things like uh, retreats um, are for. Um, Even Sunday morning good. to a certain degree. Yes. That's what Sunday morning mm-hmm. is for. Um, and it's, it's good. It's part of being a believer. Um, but that's honestly not where we should be spending the most of our time. We should be engaging the world as Christian community together um, across our whole lives and our workplaces at the coffee shops we go to, wherever it is we happen to find ourselves, we need to make sure that we are prepared as a community to engage the world um, instead of running from it, because this is the world we've got. Um, Christ is coming back to create a new world with this one. Christ is coming back to bring this world in heaven together to make a new thing. Um, so it's, uh, not like heaven is just this place that we ultimately go. Um, heaven is the kingdom of God, which starts when Jesus walks out of the grave. Um, Mm -hmm. and it's on us to participate in it and claim it, um, across the globe right now. Um, we're trying to expand the walls and if you just Mm -hmm. stay in your echo chamber, the walls aren't growing, Mm -hmm. you know? Sorry, I just got a notification. The Texas Rangers just destroyed the Mariners. So um, that, that dates this podcast recording, but uh, <laughs> it is what it is. That's all right. But no, I love all that, man. That's all, that's all very good. And that's something I feel like uh, it's, it's becoming harder to be a Christian and not do anything. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is well, now you have to know what you believe. You have to you have to have a reason for the hope that you claim, mm-hmm. uh, like Peter tells us. And then you also the the need to understand what is happening in culture um, is much higher, and it's not as easy mm. to just go to church on a Sunday and then check out because um, the opposition for culture non Christian are are uh, the ideas are becoming more. Uh, prevalent and aggressive to a certain degree, mm-hmm. and so we're being te- we're being tested, and we're mm-hmm. failing a lot, and yeah. um, 
And that's because we don't know what we believe. We don't know why we believe it. And we don't know what's happening in the culture. So we don't even know what they think. We just, Mm -hmm. they're taking our virtues, I think, a lot of the time. And then um, they're saying, well, you're supposed to be loving. You're supposed to be this, this, and this. And we're like, well, dang, they're right. I am supposed to be loving. Mm -hmm. So we, we, we kind of, we allow, we allow things to go by that we shouldn't allow to go by uh, within Mm -hmm the lack of understanding of the culture and of our own beliefs. Mm-hmm. And I think something that's interesting, especially specifically about Jesus is, um, people like to paint Jesus as like a moderate. Um, and I, I, I'm not sure that that's the case. Um, I think what is true is, um, Jesus is probably progressive enough to make, um, conservatives uncomfortable in some places but also conservative enough to make progressives uncomfortable in a couple different places um and that's a sometimes hard to grasp um especially because i just said that jesus probably wasn't a moderate and i just described the moderate (laughs) um no what you're hitting on is something that that, uh sorry go ahead i don't mean that uh, well, all I'm trying to say is, like, um, like Jesus, as far as engaging culture, will look um, really conservative sometimes. And then it will also look really liberal sometimes. Um, and that's why, like, the place of the Christian is kind of like a no-man's land sometimes. I don't think it's moderate. I think there's going to be days where you look like um, you exclusively vote for donkeys and there's going to be days that you look like you vote exclusively vote for elephants, regardless of what you actually do. Um, and, um, that's a really important part of engaging culture. Um, because it's interesting. Um, there's a really great book called the air we breathe and I'm, it's escaping me what the author's name is, but, um, it's all about how all these things that culture loves um, are Christian ideas. So like a great example is like hospitals. Um, Christians started the first hospitals. Um, Like the idea of um, caring for people medically um, and using science to treat people um, is a Christian idea. Um, The sanctity of life altogether is a Christian idea. The fact that, um, people who are less fortunate should have the opportunity um, to at least be able to like achieve equity. That's a Christian idea. Um, It's like a Christian to make sure that the least of these um, are equipped or at least um, attempt to equip the least of these um, to make something for themselves. Um, Like three fourths of the world's charitable giving is by Christians. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Excuse me. Um, so it's uh, it's so interesting that um, so much of modern culture is, or at least in the West, um, is anti-Christian, or at least anti-Orthodox um, Christianity, when so much of Western civilization is founded on um, values that were originally Christian. We've just forgotten that they were. And it's also interesting that Christianity as a faith is exploding in parts of the East, like in Africa, in yeah. Asia, 
Um, and um, for some reason, it's not in places like the United States. Um, continents like Africa um, are sending missionaries to the United States. Um, uh, I actually met. That's um, insane, man. I met two people not too long ago from Germany who um, met as missionaries to the United States. Um, That's crazy. Because um, they were on, they were trying to evangelize. And Can we blame them though? I mean, look at look no, at look at like, no. a country in Africa, and we're putting out. Look at the big things that the country's arguing about right now, and then we'll be like, I can't blame them because we're arguing about mm-hmm. things that are ridiculous. And people in I don't know Uganda are like, okay, what the heck? Mm-hmm. Like we we do need to send some folks over there. Um. But I love – no, I, I completely agree, and I think that one of the greatest minds, at least C.S. Lewis said this, was uh, Chesterton, G.K. Chesterton. And he, he, always, he talked about how Christianity was this beautiful paradox. Mm. And, and so what you said about how one day he's going to be super conservative, one day he's going to be super liberal or, or, or progressive or liberal, whatever it may be, philosophically, not, not politically. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> I think that's completely true, uh, and and Chesterton really outlined that in uh, Orthodoxy, which if you haven't read, I highly suggest. It's kind of thick, but but no, I, I completely agree with you, um, and and we're forgetting. We're I think that we're being called. Like to your point, like we we are incredibly loving to the world and to those in need. Um, but we're called unloving whenever we just can't hop on certain trains and, mm-hmm. and that's intimidating us to roll over on some of our fundamental beliefs while we can still be incredibly loving to even the people that are, that are upset with us mm-hmm. while not folding on what we believe to be true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I mean, Jesus salvation is radically inclusive because it includes everyone what differentiates the saved from the unsaved is their recognition of Jesus as Lord. Um, and ultimately the Bible says that we are going to be without excuse. Um, and that's kind of a hard pill to swallow, but if we're going to be consistent, um, the Bible says it. Um, that's something um, me and Paul talked about this, but a lot of the times people, um, we always, when we, Paul asked us in a staff meeting, he was like, Hey, whenever you think about Jesus, or like you're going to go pray and you're going to spend time with him, what do you picture in your head? And hmm. <clears throat> he, a lot of the, I'm not going to out anybody, but, um, I try to imagine the throne room. I don't try to imagine a person. I try to imagine the throne room as described in scripture, the best I can, mm-hmm. um, most of the time. Now, there are times whenever I'm on walks and I'm picturing me talking to him like, you know, a, a friend, for lack of a better term. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've gone so far down the Jesus is your buddy and he just hangs out with you at coffee shops, which he's there with you at the coffee shop right now, Tanner. But, of course, but... He's also he's he's also Lord and King of the Universe. 
And mm. so whenever you see Jesus as this uh, this guy that I follow, uh, that I like to, to read and listen to, Nathan Finicino, he's like, whenever you see God as this lovesick boyfriend, you can start to get some pretty dangerous ideas messed up, like in your head. Mm. Um, That's interesting. And, and, and instead, we need to probably first see him as Lord and King and God rather than this weird, like, God's your buddy and you can kind of do whatever you want still type of thing. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the Christian is called to righteousness. Um, James says, um, do not merely listen to the word, do what it says. Um, Yeah, dude, James is tough. It's like so, so important to um, maintain and strive for righteousness in your own life. And there's grace. That's what the cross is for. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, grace is absolutely endless. Um, but uh, you, you got to repent from your sins and you got to strive to be like more like Christ. The most realized version of yourself, because that's what culture is trying to find right now. Yeah. We're trying to find identity and all these things. The most realized identity that we could possibly have for ourselves is one in Jesus and working towards being more like him in our everyday lives. When Jesus comes back and all is made new, we are going to look a lot like him in our actions and in our feelings. Um, probably not physically. We'll probably look the same, but uh, maybe not. Who knows? Um, but uh, our righteousness that we receive through the Holy Spirit and through the actions that the Holy Spirit equips us to take that's us being more like Jesus. Um, and that's that identity. Um, so yeah, I mean, it really is important to like do all these things. Um, like it's, it's part of being a Christian, um, and grace is endless, but it should not be abused. Um, and I, 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 I guess it's, it's important to remember that because, it's so easy to fall into sin and think that you're not worthy, which you aren't, I guess, but like that there is no forgiveness. Um, but then it's also super easy to continue falling into sin and yeah. say, okay, well, I'm forgiven anyways. So <laughs> it's another, I think it's, another... um, it's a, it's a, Oh, um, who's the Roman emperor who, um, Constantine, is it Constantine who was the first, like, Christian emperor? Um, I don't know. Yeah, it is. Um, he famously didn't take, like, his, like, salvific prayer or whatever into, like, his deathbed, I think, or towards the end of his life. (laughs) See, (laughs) allegedly, he was worried about, um, you know, messing it up. (laughs) <laughs> so he said, you know what? I'm not going to do this to the very end. Uh, um, <laughs> That's strategy which right is, there, man. Yeah, it's, you know, there's something to be said for. <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny. Oh, that's hilarious. Uh, but no, it is. It's another paradox, man. It's the, the standard is absolute perfection and holiness, and yet there's endless grace. Mm-hmm. I really like the exercise that you were talking about that Paul had y'all do about thinking through when you're praying, when you're trying to talk to Jesus, what do you consider? What do you think through? Um, 
That's very interesting. I might, I might use that. I, I recently finished writing a devotional for a trip that I'm helping lead. Um, and, uh, the trip in Colorado and part of, it just got really windy out here. I don't know if you can hear that. Um, Not too bad. But, um, part of where, so the trip takes place in Colorado and a lot of what I am trying to accomplish with this devotion series of devotionals is helping students um, perceive, understand, and ultimately discern God's call on their life. Um, and we're using the context of some of God's most beautiful creation to help us kind of commune with God. Um, so something pretty early on that I try to um, drive home with these students is omniscience, omnipotence, and omnipresence. So omniscience um, is knowledge of everything. God knows everything. Um, that's all um, objective facts. That's all of our feelings. Uh, that's all of our choices and all potential. God knows it all. Um, that's, that's what omniscience is. Uh-huh. Um, now, omnipotence, omnipotence, um, I, I, I've never decided how I want to pronounce that word, um, is um, God's power. Um, if you break these words down, omni just means all, essentially. Um, so God is all-powerful. He can do whatever he wants. Um, not only that, all power rests in him. So not only is God the creator of the universe, he actively chooses to sustain the universe. If God chose, or if God wanted to, everything would cease to exist, and there is nothing anybody could do about it. But God chooses to sustain the ex the existence of the universe um, for God's purposes, uh, which are way beyond us. Um, and then finally, omnipresence means God is um, a part of everything. God exists everywhere in everything. But also, and this is kind of again, I guess, paradox. Um, everything also exists in God. <laughs> so. <laughs> Um, those are really big things to like comprehend. And I think what's cool about this, uh, to your point of like trying to, um, picture God in a way that's super, um, respectful and, um, recognizes his stature among things. Uh, you and I, Wyatt and Tanner are finite. Um, we are, um, we have an end. Um, our knowledge has an end, our presence has an end, our power has an end, all of it. Um, but God is infinite. He's omnipresent, omnipotent, and omniscient. Um, so for us to try and comprehend, to try and fully understand something that is infinite as finite beings is kind of a silly endeavor. Yeah. It's not something that we shouldn't strive for. You should absolutely try to understand God. You should ask God your questions. You should ask your peers your questions about God. It's important to struggle through these things. If they cause doubts, that's okay. It's healthy to have doubts. And it's great to work through those in Christian community. But ultimately, we're never going to do it. I'm not even sure that when Jesus comes back and heaven is restored and we have a new creation, that even then, I'm not sure that we'll be able to fully comprehend God. Um Maybe we'll be closer. Maybe we'll be able to. Um, I, I, I don't like to speak too authoritatively over what um, heaven will look like. Um, 
but ultimately right now in this life, which is what matters right now, this is where our feet are. Um, we will never be able to fully comprehend some of these things. And that should inform the way we talk to God. That should inform the way we think about God. Um, because while God is personal, he breathed life into Adam and Eve in Genesis one and two. He's a personal God who walked the garden. He's a personal God who cries when his friends die in John. Um, He's also the God of the universe (laughs) and exists both in everything um, in the universe and everything in the universe exists in him. And he also exists outside of the universe, outside of space and time. And it's so impossible to comprehend and it's wild and cool and uh, should inform our respect for God uh, and should both alarm us because it, it's it's crazy, but also give us comfort that something so much bigger than us is in control. Well, geez, how do you think that John, uh, the disciple, felt whenever he, I mean, last, he got to see him pre-death, post-death, and he saw him uh, appear to him while he was exiled on the island, um, and there he fell down in fear, and probably also reverence, but fear, thinking that he was going to die. Mm-hmm. And it's like, so John got to see all a whole bunch of different uh, <clears throat> appearances of Jesus, um, and, and, and keeping that in mind is definitely, like the light, I think, in fact, I think the likelihood of us seeing Jesus now, like if Jesus were to just appear, the likelihood of him looking uh, like the fella from The Chosen or or something similar to what John saw when he was in fear for his life i'm pretty sure my guess would be he would more more likely look something similar to what John saw well i mean in the narratives um around the resurrection um the disciples and mary um don't initially recognize jesus mary first to encounter yeah. jesus post resurrection and it doesn't immediately recognize him. He has to say her name for her to realize that it's Jesus. And we don't know, I mean, exactly what's happening there. She, like, some of that could be shock. Um, <laughs> you know, um, she, Mary was a human and experienced, like, human emotions and stuff like that. Well, Andrew, um, he's dead. I'm not going to see him on the side. Like, you wouldn't, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. But um, at, there's probably something to be said, and a lot of t- interpretations will tell you that Jesus' resurrection, re- resurrected body might have looked a little different, or at least presented itself presented itself in a way that was not initially recognizable. Um, and it's hard to say exactly what that means, um, but uh, it's a food for thought. Yeah, absolutely. Well, hey. We're at one thirty-four. Looks like you and I have absolutely no difference time-wise than Paul does. Paul and I. <laughs> Granted, we're all three long-winded. Yeah, um, yeah. But I would, I would love to have another one, and maybe even you know we can decide on what we talk about. But even just talk about <clears throat> um, more specific issues whenever it comes to maybe the culture. I know that you work in student ministry, and so. Those things are very, very relevant to what you do, um, and in my interest as well. And so, and then also just talk about student ministry. So, if you'd be up for that, I'd I would be love down. that. Yeah, absolutely. Great. Well, then we'll plan on that. Um, but super enjoyed it. Thanks for talking with me again. Yes, sir. 
and uh, and we'll we'll see everybody next time. Excellent. Thanks again. We hope you enjoyed this presentation of Cibolo Creek Community Church. If you did, please consider supporting the ministry of our church. Your donations make a difference. To check out more resources or to share a gift, please visit us at CibeloCreek.com. Thanks for listening.